You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Federal Premium Ammunition and their new Centerfire Rifle Ammunition Terminal Ascent. Now, the Terminal Ascent has a slipstream polymer tip that helps flatten trajectories and initiates low-velocity expansion at longer ranges. The Terminal Ascent gives you match-grade long-range accuracy in a bonded hunting bullet and it comes in a variety of cartridges including the 6.5 creedmoor the 280 ackley improved the 28 nosler the 7 millimeter remington mag 30-06 and the 300 win mag if you want to find more information about the terminal ascent visit federalpremium.com and while you're there check out it's federal season the official podcast of federal ammunition Welcome to another episode of the Ohio Huntsman Podcast. Glad to have you here, and today's episode is going to be, it's kind of a fun one. As we're getting ready for bow season to open, we thought it would be fun to, each one of us, Jacob, Jeff, and I, pick one thing, if you had to pick one thing that's most important to a bow hunter, to be successful as a bow hunter, what would it be? We eliminated your bow because you obviously need a bow and broadheads, right? Because I think it's generally understood that you need a quality broadhead and you need a bow. So we decided for this exercise, we would eliminate those two things and go from there. So this is what's the most important thing to a bow hunter. And it was a fun little debate. So we'd love to hear from you guys what, what all you think. Do you agree with one of us? Do you agree with all of us? Do, would you pick something different altogether? So let us know. Shoot us a message. Facebook, Instagram, or Ohio Huntsman on Facebook. Ohio Huntsman underscore podcast on Instagram. And let us know. Before we get into that, though, I want to talk about our sponsor, Monster Whitetail Grub. They have been a sponsor of ours for... A long time and we're really thankful for that they support the show and i'd encourage you guys to check them out and support them they're an ohio-based company and like i said we're getting real close to deer season and they make a great deer feed product they've got their signature monster whitetail grub feed which is a high protein feed mineral mixed in you can get flavor additives lots of cool stuff you can get flavored corn which sort of ups the game on, on just standard corn. And then you can also get straight mineral. So whatever you need, they've got it. So check out ohiohuntsman.com slash sponsors. That's where you'll find all of the information on our sponsors. And 
you can get in touch with them, order some of their product, and give it a try. Now, let's get into this debate. Welcome to the Ohio Huntsman Podcast, where three brothers, Jason, Jacob, and Jeff, discuss all things hunting in Ohio. Our goal is to be your source for accurate and reliable hunting news and conservation issues in the great state of Ohio, as well as some fun and interesting conversations along the way. This is the Ohio Huntsman Podcast. Are you listening? All right, so we've got everybody on the call. It's... uh interestingly enough fun fact for today we're recording on june 29th it is jacob's birthday so happy birthday and if you thank you yes if you listened a couple episodes ago i talked about how i hadn't even gotten jeff his birthday present yet i have redeemed myself and finally got him his his birthday is in march i finally got him his birthday present and got jacob his birthday present early so it was kind of easy. I sort of got you guys the same thing, but yeah. slight variation. Well, now Dad wants one. Oh, he saw it? He saw it and said, oh, you know, I wonder where Jason got that from. And I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure he made it. So, yeah. yeah. So for listeners, I made um, basically a small game carrier. You know, it's got an adjustable loops you know, that you can cinch down so you could use it for squirrels, you could use it for rabbits, you could use it. It doesn't have enough loops to carry a limit of doves, but you could, I was thinking, because it started to get kind of bulky if I was going to put that many loops. Like, it's just your standard, whatever, two, two and a half inch carabiner, just your cheapo aluminum, you know, not weight-bearing carabiner. And if I was going to put that many loops on, it started to get kind of... Full. And so I, my thought was, well, you've got enough here. If you doubled up the loops to carry a limit of doves, you've got yeah, to you shoot a limit down. of doves first. <laughs> right. But so that's that's what, uh, and I, I made those. And so I didn't realize, but so dad wants one now too, huh? Yeah, I mean, he was pretty impressed uh that you made it, you know, because he was like looking at it and said, oh, it's pretty cool, you know, it's something handy to have, you know, because he said, you know, when I go squirrel hunting, you know, not that I've went squirrel hunting in a few years, basically, is what he said, but, uh, you know, I just carry them by their tails or stuff them in a coat pocket, and if you get lucky and you're getting quite a few, that gets pretty cumbersome. Yeah. Yeah, I've... I don't I the one I have for myself isn't as nice as the one I made for you. <laughs> I guess mine's a prototype. Uh, it's got I think it's only got four loops on it and it doesn't have like the the uh, the cobra weave around it to kind of dress it up and so but yeah. So that's that. So again, happy birthday Jake and you're spending it uh recording a podcast so anything else new we want to talk about before we get into the the actual topic we want to talk about today well i think last episode maybe it was the episode before that i talked about how i hadn't checked my trail camera in yeah. a long time mm -hmm. well i checked that and i had uh, some interesting photos that i kind of blew my mind i think a fawn 
was hanging out with a buck for like three or four days. Like I would get photos of this buck and a fawn together and never any does. And then like after three or four days, this buck came in, a fawn came in, and then a doe came in. And then I never saw uh, the buck with the fawn again. Hmm. But it was like on the regular every day, this buck would uh, come in and there would be a fawn with it. So I think that, you know, this fawn got lost and was tagging along with this buck for a couple of days, which I thought was pretty surprising. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I mean, especially because it's a little fawn. I mean, it's, you know, definitely still could be nursing, you know. Yeah. It was a little fawn. Hmm. But, yeah, I thought that was pretty bizarre. Um, yeah. I planted a, uh, a small sunflower plot to try to dove hunt on. Get a limited doves. Yeah, get a limited doves. <laughs> you know, I, I planted maybe I don't know somewhere probably between thirty and fifty sunflowers. You know, I I just started them all in planters and then basically just went out and planted them in an overgrown uh, field. Well, it's it used to be part of my yard and then I stopped mowing. Oh, well, okay. actually, even before I moved in, it stopped getting mowed, so it's just kind of overgrown grass and shrubs but i planted them all there and uh last week i went out to check on them you know i had been looking at them you know once a week and they were doing well last week i went to check on them and almost every single one of them had the top bitten off of it bummer so that that whole plan you know i was just a big waste of time i might get two sunflowers to grow <laughs> you know like oh, that's maybe maybe two of them didn't get bitten off i've got a similar story it's not it wasn't something i planted for to hunt over but i thought it would be a cool project for for ella and i i was gonna or i, I did plant uh birdhouse gourds so they're you know they're the kind of like the bottle shaped not bottle they got the big bell on the bottom and then usually a a a, a, a smaller ball on top you know and people turn them into birdhouses you know when you let them dry out and then you can bore a hole in them and, and clean all the insides out you know because it's all dry papery inside and but the shell gets hard and i thought oh this will, you know we can grow these things and then you know, we'll let them dry out, and the next year we'll build birdhouses. It'll be a fun, you know, little project for Ella and I. So I, you know, with all this stuff, I, I ordered some seeds online, and they showed up. And on the package that I didn't research it a ton, but on the package is talking about like they need like 120 to 150 days to reach maturity, and I was like, wow, I don't know if I have enough time anymore and they're not coming up they're not coming up i started looking like the the germination period it's like uh 
I forget it. It's like two weeks or something for these things to even sprout. So, I, you know, I lost two weeks there, you know, if these things even grow. And so I think it's going to end up being an epic fail. We might get some vines, but I don't think we're going to get any mature gourds that we can. I mean, we'll see. I'll keep you all posted, but I don't have any baby uh, gourd plants yet. So I think it's. I may I may have gotten too late of a start on that <laughs> on that project. Yeah, that that because I'm doing the math here, and yeah, that's it's gonna be tough. Yeah, I think I'd have had to get them in. I mean, at least a month ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not too long after the the last frost. I mean, that's kind of a a long window but we'll see maybe we'll get some small gourds and we can make small birdhouses <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see so. so i discovered the other day yesterday i was out at my property and i guess i didn't know this first real full season with the property it is full and i mean full of black raspberries Oh, really? Yeah, like all the paths and mode areas, like lining those, they're all lined with briars. And all summer and spring, I was just cursing it. Like, ah, oh, get all these briars out of here, get these briars out of here. Well, come to find out, a lot of them are black raspberries. <laughs> um, I think that's a nice find, though. Yeah. So, but I don't know. The only thing is, I don't. If I guess, if any listeners have any tips or tricks, I don't know if there's a tip or trick. But some of them, I don't know if it's the birds or if the plants just didn't get. I don't know. There seems like a lot of them. They're not. You can tell that they tried to bury, but they almost look like they're burnt out. So I don't know if the birds nipped them off already, or I don't know. Because hmm. it's weird. <clears throat> And like they're, some of them look like they're, they almost look like they would look after you pick the berry off of them. But yeah, like okay. the whole plant is just like clean, dried out looking like, so I don't know if the birds are picking it off or if that plant just never developed berries, but I don't know. There's still a bunch that are, you know, we spent. We didn't have any container to load them into yesterday, so we were just going and picking as much as we could eat. But there's a bunch of them. I think uh, I'm going to have a like a bumper crop of blackberries this year. Last year, like the first year we were, we, you know, we moved in in July or whatever, the first year we were in here, and we, we had quite a few blackberries last year. We had some, but it, you know, it was enough to kind of go back there after work with Ella and we would pick a couple handfuls of blackberries and, and eat them as we went. But this year, man, when I'm, you know, cause you guys know we've got some mode paths back there. And when I'm walking there, it's like everywhere blackberries, but, and they're just loaded with, I mean, they're not ripe yet, but they're just loaded with ripening or, or, you know, the starts of blackberries. Yeah, same thing over here. I 
it's going to be a good year for berries. Yeah. And you know, I don't I don't know if that's a a thing cuz yeah, last year not not many. You know, dad came over to pick some and you know, we struggled. You know, dad came over to pick some to give to grandma to make a cobbler out of. You know, so we're trying to you know, basically get like about a gallon jug of them, at least right. half gallon and we struggled. Yeah. Yeah, that's the way ours was last year. But this year it seems like, like you said, it's going to be a good year for berries. The other thing I just, I just remembered, I got another little experiment going on. So I, I'm bad with like finishing my Euro mounts. Like I'll boil them and get the, the majority, you know, the, the eyeballs, all that, you know, that big fleshy stuff comes off. And, but some of that stuff is just a real pain to get all of it off. And so I end up like, well, I, I'm out of time for today. And they sit in my, you know, they're not clean enough to bring into the house. So they sit in my garage and they, you know, turns into jerky, basically the little pieces that are left, you know, but like for me, I always struggle with that stuff on the back of the skull. There's all that stuff back there that I don't know. I don't know why, but I just struggle to get like that stuff is held on there real tight. And I, I just, I can't get it off. I don't know. I always struggle to get that off. So I end up like I've got one hung in my garage because I never got it clean enough to where I felt comfortable bringing it in the house. And then I I had my buck from last year sitting, um, you know, just kind of in the corner in my garage, basically same thing. I had done like the initial boil, but never really got it clean. And I was looking online and I saw some people just from the start, will use maceration. <clears throat> so basically just soaking the skull in water, in warm warm water, if, if you will. It doesn't really work so well in, in the winter when stuff's cold because you need like that bacterial growth breakdown of the tissue. It stinks. I mean, I'm only a couple days into it, and, my, and the skull I'm talking, you know, had not a lot of meat left on it, but... Like I said, more than you'd probably want to bring in your house. So I'm going to, as a, you know, because I've heard people bury them, but then it's like, how do you keep things off the antlers? You cover it, but, uh, you know, and then I've seen the skull ends up stained kind of dark because it's been in the dirt for six months or whatever. And, you know, I just didn't, I wasn't in love with that idea. But I was looking for, or I'm looking for a way of sort of like the the, the old set it and forget it kind of <clears throat> way to finish <laughs> the, the Euro mounts. And I don't know, maybe I'll try one, uh, um, just complete maceration at, at some point. But right now I'm trying to see if I can finish, get the last of that tissue off of there, get some of that you know, that brain residue and stuff out of there using maceration. So I've got a, a the skull in a five-gallon bucket in the attic of my barn because it gets hot up there because there again, like, that's the, the one thing. Like, I don't want to just set a bucket outside and have coons or coyotes or something drag, you know, drag this thing out of there or 
the mice or the squirrels get to the antlers or anything like that. So I wanted it protected somehow. Obviously not in my garage. I don't want a, <laughs> a rotting bucket of of uh, stinky flesh in my garage, which is attached to my house. So we'll see. I'll keep you all posted on how that goes. But <clears throat> I think that uh, unless you guys have anything else, I think that is all of our updates. Yeah, I don't have anything else. Okay. Yeah, that's everything I had. Okay. So what we were going to talk about today, sort of a fun one as we're, you know, as we're starting to think about deer season again, deer season, you know, fall hunting season isn't, isn't far away at this point. We're, uh, by the time you guys listen to this, we'll be less than three months away. So, you know, coming up on two months away. So it's really starting to be on the brain. And so we thought as a, as a fun topic, we would do a, what's the most important thing to a bow hunter? Obviously, aside from your bow, and we also decided to throw in your broadhead, you know, arrows and broadheads. Like, you have to have those things, and I think it's pretty well understood that you need a quality broadhead that's going to, you know, not blow apart on impact, you know. So we sort of rank those in as a given, if you will. So what's the most important thing to a bow hunter? And you obviously can't repeat what somebody else has said. And so, you know, by the end of this, we should have three, like a top three list of most important things for a bow hunter. And, since it's Jake's birthday, <clears throat> we decided to go to go easy on him and give him the first slot so he doesn't have to come up with anything on the fly. So, Jake, if you want to kick it off, what what is your most important thing for a bow hunter? All right. Um, the most important thing that I came up with, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, is um, I, I, I guess I'll go camouflage. And not necessarily traditional hunting camouflage. It necessarily has to be, but something to disguise your silhouette and presence. Um, so you know, you don't necessarily need the latest and greatest expensive camouflage. I'm not particular picking one brand over another, but something to break up your presence because with bow hunting, you have to get pretty close or the deer has to get pretty close Mm -hmm. and um they see movement very well so for me i would say some sort of a camouflage pattern some sort of a pattern that's going to break up you being a body (laughs) up in a tree or if you're hunting from the ground um so i would say camo of some sort that's kind of my most important i guess okay want to pause here briefly and talk about our sponsor mastin's deer sense so mastin's is a deer scent company and as we're getting ready for deer season to open it's time to start thinking about your arsenal of tools if you will your your tools in your tool bag so 
scent is another one of those tools that we as hunters use to be successful in the woods. Mastins makes a great product. They collect everything on stainless steel, so you know you're getting good, clean scent with no off scents. You know, some companies collect on concrete, and everybody knows concrete is porous and can absorb things. Mastins collects on stainless steel. They are a certified CWD-free facility, which is important in today's day and age. And the prices are really good. So if you haven't been to their website to, ch- to at least check out their prices, go to mastinsdeersense.com. Or if you prefer, like I said in the, in the beginning, go to ohiohuntsman.com slash sponsors. And there's a link there to jump you over to their website. Order right on their website and they'll ship it to your house. So with that, let's get back into the episode. Jeff, we'll let you go next. What uh, what do you rank as most important? And we'll see if you can top Jake's idea or if Jake has a, a rebuttal. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you have to fool the deer senses. So, uh, but I think probably the more important sense to fool is uh, the sense of smell. And I think it's really hard to actually fool the sense of smell. So you have to play the wind to your advantage. So I would say the most important tool is something to see how the wind is blowing, you know, and not just like, oh, it's blowing, you know, north, but something that's going to kind of show you, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, a piece of cotton or uh, milkweed uh, fluff, you know, to really show how the wind is blowing and where your scent is, you know, where the wind's going from you and downwind, you know, where your scent is blowing. So whatever, you know, you want to use, but I think something to determine the way the wind's going is most important because you're you're never you can wear all the clothes, shower, cover scent, whatever you want. And I think most of that stuff just buys you fraction, you know, very little time. It just buys you time and it's not really buying you a lot of time. You know, not saying that you shouldn't do those other things um, because, you know, hunting is a game of seconds. You know, you just need that deer to step out into the clearing for, you know, 15 seconds to get your Mm -hmm. shot off. But it's much better to never have the, the deer go downwind of you, you know, set up so that the deer are going to be aren't going to get your scent than it is to try to use something to fool their sense of smell. Okay. So Jake, any comment on that? You still think um, camo's better or do you think what, what's your thoughts? I guess my, I think that he's right in the sense that not letting a deer smell you is probably the most important thing but I, I don't know i guess he did a good job with a tool something to see the wind but i my argument or rebuttal against that is 
you can do a good enough job predicting the wind to still have success just by observing which way the wind's blowing by watching leaves blow or whatever. That's not really a tool per se that you would have. That's just observing nature. So I think he's right that smell or scent is the most important. Deer will smell you way before they see you. But I feel like you can do that without having an extra tool, just having a little bit of woodsmanship good enough, you know, maybe not to the minute detail of letting a piece of milkweed fluff go and seeing how it goes, you know, in and out, up and down. But you can generally get a general consensus of wind direction just by observing how the trees are blowing, how the leaves are blowing, that kind of stuff to do a good enough job to have success. That would be my argument against it, but I can't say that he's wrong either. Okay. All right. That's so, that's basically how I feel about camouflage too. Like, <laughs> I, I can't argue against it, but you know. Okay. All right. We'll we'll see what arguments you guys have against mine. So, and I'm actually shocked you one of you guys didn't pick this one, but not that it's necessary but man does it make things a lot easier is a tree stand or some sort of elevated hunting platform i've killed deer from the ground it it can be done and it's it's fun and can be intense but but man especially as a new hunter i mean jeff you even talked about this in past episodes with your wife like getting up off the ground just allows you to see more it allows you to to stay engaged in the hunt. You can see something coming from a a much longer way away and get ready. Whereas on the ground, a lot of times in order to be successful in that, you've got to be tucked back into something to where you, you can't see a lot. So you kind of have to be ready the entire time. You've kind of got to be sitting there with your bow at the ready and getting up off the ground. Just, just, ups your odds i think it it a lot of times helps you defeat a deer's nose it gets your scent up in another layer of the wind stream and so it can carry your scent up and away it gets you out of their normal line of sight to where camouflage isn't as big of a a deal you know as long as you're not standing up there in a in a white t-shirt or something or you know a color that deer see really well and you're not flailing your arms around up there I think an elevated hunting, whether it's a ladder stand, a climbing stand, uh, you know, a hang on stand, an elevated blind, some way of getting elevated, I think would be my most important thing as a bow hunter. What are your guys' thoughts? If you add in like a blind, like a ground blind, I'm more, uh, you know, because a lot of the things you just said could be accomplished with a ground blind as well. Um, True. I I more, you know, agree with you. Um, I still don't think it's well. See, and I don't know the ground blind because the ground blind completely, almost completely eliminates the need for camouflage. Yeah. Um. But I I I think. Jacob is not Jacob and I's are better than a than a a tree stand or a ground blind. 
Um, just because I, I've I've been wearing full camo and sat in a tree stand before and had deer look at me like I'm stupid. Like, you know, you don't think I can see you there? Like, <laughs> you know, I'm not coming anywhere near you. Like, I mean, they pick and I'm sitting there perfectly still in a tree and, you know, they, they pick me out. No problem. Yeah. You know, and it's like, oh, well, this is, you know, so I, it would be, I, I think if you didn't have something to break up your silhouette, you know, like proper clothing in a tree stand, it, it would be uh, difficult. You know, it would, the, the, the camo makes it more important, you know, is uh, kind of outdoes the tree stand there. And you can uh, kind of with the scent thing is you can make a lot of mistakes with the tree stand if you can't accurately predict how the wind is moving. You know, like uh, even with like general direction, because for me, what I found is when you get up in a tree stand, the the wind game completely changes like. Sometimes on the ground, the wind seems to be doing one thing. When you get up in a tree stand and you actually use, you know, uh, milkweed fluff or something, it's like, oh, well, I never expected that the wind was, you know, basically blowing, you know, coming from this direction. But then right over there, it's looping around and going straight back the way the wind's coming. You know, it. so I, I feel Jacob and I's are better than yours in, in those, that's my argument. Okay. So my rebuttal to your rebuttal is I, I think I, and I'll, 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 I'll concede the fact that yes, you can get picked off in a tree stand, but I would argue that proper stand placement, picking the right tree, not, you know, like if you're sitting on a telephone pole, right? It's easy for them to look up and see. But if you're in a tr- in a tree stand with some good back cover and you haven't trimmed every branch off, I think you can get away with a lot. And I think as another another pro for the tree stand argument, you you learn so much from being in a tree stand. You could be hunting on the ground and get busted because you know you didn't have you weren't playing the wind right and never know you got busted because you can't see anything whereas in a tree stand a lot of times you can see all that happening and go oh that's what happened that's where I made my mistake or oh the deer are actually crossing over there or like you you can learn a lot from being in a tree stand so I would agree. Um, and I think there, unfortunately there's caveats to every one of these, but I think deer. Jake, I think we lost you. You there? Yep. I'm here. Sorry. I think deer density probably plays a role. Um, you know, like at my property where I'm overrun with does, a tree stand is probably not as important because I know at any given night 
again, I guess I know this because of a trail camera, but um, I know if I go sit any night of the week, there's a high probability I'm going to see deer so that I don't need to necessarily be elevated to see what they're doing or where they're coming from or True. if there's even deer there to stay motivated. Um, I, uh, you know, I just, it depends, you know? Yeah. Well, and so I think if that, you're, if you're hunting somewhere where there's, you don't know where the deer are or how many deer there are, or, you know, that can potentially change things too. being able I think, to see them. You know? Yeah. I, I think the one takeaway or, or at least the one thing I hope people take away from this is there's, there's not one right answer to this, but if you distill it down, right, it, it doesn't, all the fancy gear and everything, right, is, is, it helps, but a lot of it, I, I think, is incremental help. And so, you know, some sort of camo or, or way to break up your outline, some way of knowing or being able to read the wind, and some way of getting elevated or, you know, to Jeff's point, you could get in a ground blind, you know, some way to sort of mask your movements or, you know, help avoid the deer seeing you and you'll be successful. I think if I was going to, and I'll give you guys, uh, the opportunity if, if you wanted, if you were going to have a, a second option if you want. But I think my other one, if you guys had taken tree stand was going to be, and it's not something you would take into the woods with you, but really studying and understanding deer anatomy for shot placement, because you can kill a deer with a, a field point. If you understand anatomy. I, I think you see it all the time on hunting TV. People that are filming their hunts as professional hunters or or whatever. And I get things happen in the woods, right? The, the deer moves at the last second, whatever. But how many times do you hear like, oh, it was a little back. And those guys, I, I think, understand shot placement, but it's easy to shoot them back with a bow, you know, I think we've gotten, people have gotten really afraid of hitting them in the shoulder because for a while it's been all about light arrow setups and speed. And, and I think, I think, you know, it seems like when I'm reading online and, and seeing people like people are, are, I don't know about getting back to maybe getting back to, cause it, you know, it used to be heavier sort of aluminum arrows versus, you know, you got all the carbon fiber stuff now, but People are focusing on heavier arrow setups for punching through, realizing that, you know, the speed is great and all, but um, if you can't get through the deer, if you can't get both lungs, if, you know, like it doesn't do you any good, right? The deer's still going to hear the bow before the arrow gets to him. And so my, my, like I said, it's not a tool per se, but but really understanding deer anatomy and and therefore shot placement 
will go a long, long way in recovering the deer you shoot. So would you, if, do you guys have a, a second one that you would add to the list? If, uh, do you have one? No. Um, if I, if I have one, my second one, my second one was going to be what you said, Jason, like a stand or a blind or something. Okay. Um, I don't think I have another, I mean, I guess the other, my tertiary or third one was going to be kind of really off the wall. Cause I figured if I had that bad of luck, um, <laughs> I'd have to come up with something, but I was going to say like something to process your deer with, assuming you're successful, like a knife yeah. <laughs> yeah. was going to be, I mean, you'd be up a crick if you shot a deer and didn't have a knife to field dress it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, okay. I, well, I will say that uh, the deer anatomy thing is also kind of a, an argument against the elevated stand. Very thing. true. Very true. Because it's a lot. It's a lot easier to understand the anatomy of a deer when you're at the same level as it. Yeah. When you're <clears throat> elevated, it it's a lot harder to understand, you know, because you think, Oh, I just, you know, point, you know, write it, you know, write at the lungs. Well, right. If you, if you don't I've factor been shooting in, my target all summer, right. You don't factor in that angle. And it's like, Oh, well, I basically just shot through one lung and, you know, out the bottom of the chest. And now yeah. I'm tracking a deer that is on one lung which I think we all know can go a very, very long way. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great point. Getting elevated adds a, a, another dimension to, to consider in your shot placement calculation, right? Like, it's, it adds another, right? It's not, it's not on a single plane, right? You've sort of, turned it into I don't know I'm trying to think of a good way to word that I mean I, I'm sure everybody understands what we're what we're talking about but yeah you've taken it from a a and that's a good point too in that a lot of the deer anatomy images that you see online are a side broadside you know here's the here's where the heart is in relation to the leg here's where the lungs are but then you know you add that element of an angle coming down out of a tree stand and it adds a layer of complexity. That's, that's for sure. Right. You add, like you said, an elevated angle plus a deer not standing completely broadside. Right. And now you're looking at, you got to take, you know, like you said, three different planes, so to speak, and understand a little bit of physics and, Geometry, think about guess, where that arrow is going to exit. Yeah, think right. about where that arrow is going to exit on the on the backside. It's like three dimensional pool, right? Like pool is played on a on a single plane, right? And you're you're just figuring on angles and and where do I strike the ball and and that kind of thing. But if you were to add a right a, a third dimension to pool, you know, it it very much increases the complexity. Right. 
Yeah. I mean, you got to know generally where those vitals are sitting. And you have to, like you said, think about it's probably more important to think about your exit hole than your entrance hole when you're starting to talk about those different angles. And but. yeah. And so, really, I mean, because as we all know and seen, a lot of times you got to make that calculation, if you will, in a split second, right? You don't, I mean, Jeff, you said it's, it's, uh, you know, uh, it comes down to a matter of seconds a lot of times. And you've got to think that through, make that decision, pick your aiming point. And so having a, a good understanding of deer anatomy. I think helps you make that that calculation faster and more accurately and then you know hopefully you can hit that hopefully you can hit that, that point. point you picked out right that just goes back to i know we've talked about it on previous episodes like you've got to practice hunting scenarios the best you can you know i mean it's yes it's fun to sit out there and blast targets at a or blast arrows at a target that's whatever 30 yards out in front of you and you're standing there shooting straight at it but if you have the ability get elevated practice elevated put the target at angles do different things to see exactly how your arrows and your setup is going to react and and get your heart rate up you know do 20 push-ups and then try to shoot a bullseye or do you know 50 jumping jacks or something to get your heart rate elevated and see how things change or break down or you know yeah the one thing i found that has been a little bit helpful for me i think is just and it was kind of out of necessity because the target i had was i was shooting my arrows straight through it with my crossbow up to the fletching. So I decided I was going to hang my target from a rope from my kid's swing set. Well, where I live, it's pretty windy at times. I live up on top of a hill. So it was kind of interesting because the target would blow in the wind. So now it was kind of a little bit of a moving target, which helped, helped a little bit. You know, it's spinning, it's rotating, it's blowing a little bit, which is, a little more, not that deer blow in the wind, but you know what I mean? They're a lot of times moving or walking or, so you got to practice kind of following the target until you can get it to stop or whatever, but just stuff like that. Get creative. Yeah. Yeah. That's a cool idea. All right. Well, like I said, in the beginning, this is just going to kind of be a fun, uh, as we start thinking about, deer season you know what's most important so if you guys have another one that you think is uh you know that you that you would argue is more important than uh any of the things we listed let us know and and of course give your give your supporting evidence as to why and uh yeah hit us up on uh social media with that that's going to do it for this week and as always Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. That's the way we get this content out to other people, to to new audiences, is by you all sharing it on your social media pages. It's not going to go by itself, right? This isn't 
viral content. This isn't uh, content that is, you know, that sort of fits the standard narrative that uh, of things that sort of grow legs on their own. And, and even those things that do grow legs on their own is from people sharing them. So I encourage you all. I appreciate you all sharing this stuff, sending it to your friends, sending it to your your hunting buddies, your you know the people that you hunt with at hunting camp, and hopefully you're getting excited for fall hunting season. There's uh, still time left to enter into the controlled hunt drawings for you know that the ODNR is putting on. Everything's going to be online this year, so if you're interested in that, make sure you check that out. And with that, I think that's everything. I'll let you all go, and we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening.